Hey there, future fans! This week, we'd kill for another shot, and we'll shoot to kill. This is the week of October 15th, and you are listening to episode 219 of Future Flicks with Billiam. Welcome to the show, everyone. It is another week, and thus, by process of elimination, it is time for another episode. And by the time Friday hits, the month will be almost half done, and that blows my mind. It doesn't feel like it should be halfway through already, and uh, instead of wallowing in the fact that time keeps on moving despite my best efforts... Let me tell you what it is I do here. My name is Billiam, and on this show, I do quite a few things. First of all, we talk about movie news and trailers, anything new that has caught my eye since the last episode. We then talk about movies, all of the new movies coming out to theaters or streaming. And I break them up into two categories. The first is the limited releases. That's any limited release that did not do anything to catch my eye. And the other is the wide releases and interesting indies, which is exactly like it sounds. Every nationwide release, every movie coming to a major streaming service, and those special limited release films that did catch my eye. Uh, I give them all a score, goes from a zero for those awful, awful scores to an 11 for those movies that take it up that extra notch. And without further ado, my future friends, let us jump into the first segment, which as always is the news. This just in from Hollywood, the news. This first story from Slash Film says Dwayne Johnson regrets his public beef with Vin Diesel. Quote, that wasn't my best day. So if you'll remember, Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson had some beef. They did. Dwayne Johnson wasn't even in F9. And when they filmed The Fate of the Furious, The Rock only joined under the condition that he would have no scenes with Vin Diesel. He was asked, uh, does he take back what he said? And he says, no, I meant what I said for sure. I mean what I say when I say it, but to express it publicly was not the right thing to do. And if some of the other things are to be believed about what uh, Dwayne Johnson said, it's not an easy set to work on. And a lot of the crew sided with him in this. Will we see The Rock again in the Fast and Furious main movies? Uh, I wouldn't definitely say no, especially as we're only getting two more and then they're done. I bet you he's going to make some sort of appearance in the final one. Will we see him in more spinoffs? I think we will. This next story is based on rumors from Giant Freaking Robot. Apparently they have some inside sources that say they know this is true. And what is true? Nicolas Cage and Wesley Snipes are wanted by Kevin Feige for a return to the MCU. Okay, they were both in Marvel movies, but never technically the MCU, as that's started with Iron Man. But the theory is that he wants them for the Secret Wars movie, 
and they would be playing Blade and Ghost Rider. Even though Marshala Ali is playing the new Blade, it's a multiverse, bitches. We can have as many Blades as we need. According to the source, uh, nothing has been set in stone yet. It's just what Kevin Feige wants. This next story comes to us from the Mercury News, which actually is a uh, newspaper around my area, so I don't know how I randomly found a movie-related article from them. But anyway, it does say that the Daily Mail... Oh, that's why. They were reporting on someone else's report. They said that the Daily Mail said that Miles Teller and his douchey little mustache has apparently cost a studio millions of dollars. Apparently, he has been very vocal about being dismissive about vaccines, and he refused to get vaccinated. He wouldn't even get a test done, and now he brought the virus to the set, and this whole set had to shut down. This has been reported that it's cost the studio about $6 million. Not only that, of course, but people who are just making a basic wage, like a, a lot of the uh, helping hands there, the stage crew and stuff, don't get to work and may have caught COVID from him. Teller's publicist reportedly told the Daily Mail that their facts are incorrect, and a rep for Paramount Plus told The Hollywood Reporter that the number was less than $6 million. Or Actually, I guess it's not fully proven that it was Miles Teller, but a production source said it was Teller. So I guess maybe to save my ass, I should confirm that this is alleged. Alleged, maybe? But Miles Teller still has a douchey mustache, and if this is true, he is a gigantic piece of shit. And if it's not true, he should just shave his mustache. My future friends, this next story comes to us from The Independent. If you watched Black Widow, there's a certain scene that the Marvel boss himself insisted, with director Kate Shortland, insisted that it would be in the movie. It was the scene in the movie where Black Widow and her surrogate family sitting around a dinner table talking. Apparently, the director did not want that in the movie, but Kevin Feige personally fought for the inclusion of that scene, and hey, it worked. The question now is, did it work because it was a good scene to have, or did director Kate Shortland make it work? Either way, I liked it. Next up, we have another giant freaking robot story. This is about a confirmed rumor, so no, not, no speculation here. A rumor about the Star Wars The Force Awakens movie. The rumor was that the movie was originally supposed to start with a scene of Luke Skywalker's hand still clutching a lightsaber flying through space. And Mark Hamill said that, yes, indeed, that was supposed to happen. But it was decided it was going to be a little too, uh, a little too gross for the start of this new franchise. Or should I say this new part of the franchise? This story comes to us from Gizmodo. Apparently, Timothy Chalamet has shared a first look at him playing a young Wonka in the upcoming prequel movie. And not only do we not need a Wonka prequel movie, but also this caption I'm looking at on this article from Gizmodo says it all. It says, cannot believe they'd recast Gonzo like this for the Muppets Christmas Carol reboot. Look, I like Timothy Chalamet. I, I, I like him a lot. I think he's going to win all the awards. He's just going to be buried in awards one day because he'll have so many and an earthquake will happen and they'll all come crashing down. What a way to go. But I, I am not excited for this. And I know it's just a picture. I know it's just a picture. And how many times has a movie started out by just releasing a screenshot or something and people shit 
all over it. And maybe it wasn't that bad. I, I still don't need this. That I liked the original Willy Wonka. I loved the original Willy Wonka. I uh, was not a fan of the Johnny Depp ones. Nothing against Johnny Depp. I, I did not give a flying shit. But whoever's bright idea it was to come up with a prequel, come on. In f***ing baller news, we are getting Will Poulter playing Adam Warlock in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. This story comes to us from Deadline. And yes, 100% yes, Will Poulter is on his way to becoming one of the A-list actors of the next decade or so. Did you ever see him in Detroit or War Machine or Midsummer or the Maze Runner movies? He's good and he can so easily play a little cunt and he could so easily be dorky and charming just like we're we're the Millers. I'm excited for this and this just leads and this just gives more credence to the idea that people are saying that James Gunn's Guardians Christmas movie or whatever is coming out next year. He says there's going to be a brand new superhero everyone's been waiting for introduced in this. It could very well be Adam Warlock. Even though we know he's coming, it could be a teaser for the upcoming film. And I think it's going to be a really good idea. This next story comes to us from Metro. Metro says that apparently Scarlett Johansson has been seen back on set for the first time since... All this hubbub with Disney went down. She has been seen on the set of Wes Anderson's next movie called Asteroid City, set for a 2022 release date, but seen as it's still clearly in production. Uh, We will see if it comes out early 2023 instead. But this has a damn great cast. Something you'd fully expect out of a Wes Anderson film. Scarlett Johansson, Margot Robbie, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Liev Schreiber, Bill Cranston, Bill Murray, Matt Dillon, Rupert Friend, Jason Schwartzman, Tony Revolori. That's amazing. That is one of the best casts I have ever seen. So once again, this is expected for a 2022 release date. No plot details have been released yet, but it's rumored to be a love story set in Europe. And my feature friend CBR.com has told us... They have told us that the Eternals runtime has been confirmed. It is going to be 156 minutes long. That's 2.6 hours. And like I said in a previous episode, at first I was not thrilled about this. I had nothing against it, but just who the f*** are the Eternals? But then they got Chloe Zhao for it. And then they started releasing trailers and it looks really good. I am getting more and more excited. But for 156 minutes... Thank God I have a gigantic ass bladder. And my future friends, this next story comes to us from A Taste of a Home, which I guess is a place. Netflix is releasing 14 brand new Christmas movies this holiday season. And I'm so happy and so excited. And I feel like such a fucking nerd for saying this. But The Princess Switch 3 is coming out on Netflix this year. And I... I love the Princess Switch movie so much. I don't know why. I mean, they're they're fun. You know, I know why. You know what? I'm going to own it. I'm going to own this. They are fun. They make me smile. They ooze Christmas. They're goofy. They're easy to watch. It's relaxing. 
The only thing that I am sad about is that Netflix did uh, did cancel Dash and Lily, which I thought was just delightful. Uh, but yes, 15 new movies, 14, got it wrong, 14 new movies coming out on Netflix this year. My friends, this next story comes to us from MovieWeb. If you were wondering, hey, are they going to make an Expendables 4? Well, yes, they are. They are making an Expendables 4, and we got a first look at one of the new actresses in it, and that is Megan Fox. Megan Fox has released some pictures of her in her costume, and basically she looks like Megan Fox and uh, looks like she's ready to kick my ass. I don't even know what I did, and she looks like she's going to come and burst through the monitor and kick my ass. And yeah, sure, I want to see this. I want to see Megan Fox reinvent herself because she disappeared for a while, right? She did some good stuff. She did some bad stuff. She disappeared. And um, I want to see what she has going for us now. It looks like no Jet Li in this one again, but it looks like we're getting Tony Jaw. So yeah, I'm fine with that. I am happy to trade Jet Li for Tony Jaw. No hate against Jet Li at all. I love Jet Li. Uh, some of his movies are some of my favorite movies. The One was amazing. Romeo Must Die. But Tony Jaw, come on. My friends, have you ever gone to some comic book movie and wondered when the credits start rolling? Well, shit, is there going to be a mid credit scene? And you're pulling out your phone really quick to try and look at Media Stinger or whatever that website is that tells you if there is a stinger or a mid credit scene. Well, Chloe Zhao has indeed confirmed that there are two, two of these scenes. One is a mid credit scene. The other is a stinger. So, yes, you do have to stay through the entire, the entire higher credits to see it but look it's a marvel movie their stingers and mid-credit scenes are rarely not worth the wait that's where i came to us from comicbook.com and my future friends let's end with a sad story animator ruthie thompson has passed away at the age of 111 good for her for making it that long she began her career working with Disney in the ink and paint department on Snow White in 1937, and she has worked on 12 things in total, but my God, they're good. Mary Poppins, Aristocats, Robin Hood, Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2 from 1973, The Rescuers, The Lord of the Rings from 1978. She worked on Popeye the Sailor, not to mention Snow White, Bambi, Sleeping Beauty. So she didn't have a long career in animation, but Damn, that is an impressive list right there. Well, my friends, once again, hey, if I missed any story that you think I should have talked about, let me know and I will talk about it in the next episode or on the next episode. But for now, let us take our first break as we hear word from our friends at the Somewhat Nerdy Radio Podcast Network. And I'll be right back with the trailer trove. Stay tuned. Are you looking for a nerd podcast that touches on every walk of nerd culture? Well, look no further. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is the podcast for you. We cover nerd culture, news, new movie reviews, bad movie reviews, video games, comics, with sprinkles of nerdy nostalgia throughout. Somewhat Nerdy Radio is a flagship podcast of the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Find us on every podcast app or stream it on somewhatnerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. Welcome back to the show. It is time for everyone's favorite segment, The Trailer Trove. Avast, and welcome to The Trailer Trove. 
Well, we start the trove with a movie that we'll be talking about on the show in two weeks. It's a movie coming straight to Paramount+. Plus. Uh, I don't think it's getting any limited theatrical time, just streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It's called Paranormal Activity Next of Kin. And if you look at the IMDb page, it says the plot is being kept under wraps, that it's the next chapter in the Paranormal Activity film franchise. But the trailer shows us a little bit about the movie. We know it's about this young woman who's going to go meet one of her birth parents. She was adopted and she finds out her mother came from an Amish family and weird things are happening when she's there. In in the trailer, we see this old blind woman peeling carrots, looking out the window. But when you look, uh, when they walk around to look at her, she's peeling her hand, which gross. And if it's Amish, you may be wondering, but Billiam... If the paranormal activity movies are generally done through cameras placed through the house, how are they doing it? They don't have power. Well, this isn't done like the other paranormal activity movies. It's normally done with a handheld camera. So it reminds me more of The Last Exorcism, at least in presentation. So we find out in this trailer that her there, there's something up with her mother. Her mother left a note in her old room saying, you're not going to have me and my child. And, you know, weird sh** keeps happening. And you know what? I'm down. This is something coming to a streaming service. If you have it, why not check it out? If you liked any of the Paranormal Activity movies, why not check it out? There's, there's no reason not to. I'll talk more about it in two weeks, but it doesn't look bad. It doesn't look great, but it doesn't look bad. My future friends, the next trailer we are going to talk about is the final trailer for Dune, because this comes out in one week, hits theaters. Let me see, one week, right? Yep, in one week, hits theaters on the 22nd, so I'll be talking about it then. So I won't go too much into it. I'll just say that this is the trailer that really, really got me pumped up. This one mainly focuses on Jason Momoa, Zendaya, and Timothy Chalamet. So Paul Atreides, Chani, and Duncan Idaho. Gives you a bit more of the plot. And, you know, if you're already sold on this movie, I would skip this trailer just because it shows some scenes where you can you can pretty much put together what's going to happen right after it. So I think it gives away a little too much. But I watched it for you. I did that for you because I love you, my listeners. I do. This film looks beautiful, hands down. And we'll talk about it more next week. All right, my friends, we have a trailer for a new Netflix original Christmas movie coming out November 5th for some f***ing reason. I mean, I guess since we had that article about them coming out with 14 original Christmas movies, you know what? You know what? In that article, they never said that they were all coming out in December. Oh, that is tricky. I get it. If you have 14, maybe you don't want to just shoot your whole load in December and people will miss a bunch. So, okay, okay, maybe I can see this, but... This one looks pretty fun, so maybe they should have saved this one closer to the holiday, but it's called Love Hard. This stars Nina Dobrev, if you ever watched Vampire Diaries, and Jimmy O. Yang. It's about this woman who can't find love. She matches with someone on a dating uh, app, uh, goes to visit him, surprises him, finds out she is being catfished, but... It also turns out that the person in the pictures also lives in that city. It's a person that the guy knows. So he agrees as a, as a way to make it up to her to help her hook up with that guy. And are they going to actually fall in love around along the way? Maybe. It's dumb. It is. But it's cute. Uh, these are exactly the type of movies that I don't think people should feel bad about when they say they like. 
just like even though it's really, really easy to make fun of Hallmark uh, original movies, it's really, really easy. If you love them, that's great. Uh, Good for you. You know who loves Hallmark original movies is Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd loves them. And if Paul Rudd loves something, it must be worth loving, goddammit, you know? So this movie doesn't look great, but it looks fun. And it's a Christmas movie, so you know what? Watch it. Just watch it. But again, we'll talk about that on the 5th. Friends, listeners, movie people, lend me your ears as we talk about the next film, The 355. This is the first movie we're talking about that's coming out next year. It has a f***ing great cast. It has Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, Diane Kruger, Penelope Cruz, Bing Bing Fan, Sebastian Stan, Edgar Ramirez. That That's all I need for a film. And I know I say that a lot. That's all I need, but it's true. Uh, you, you put people like this together, this caliber of a group, and it's great. And I love Sebastian Stan as a Winter Soldier, but I am excited to see him do more outside of it. I know he was around long before the Winter Soldier. I know that. Don't, don't, don't come at me with that. But this, but Marvel was my introduction to him. So I'm looking forward to seeing him in more. Lupita Nyong'o, Lupita Nyong'o is so good that that awful movie, Little Monsters, was even mildly, very mildly enjoyable because of her. So this film is about a group of female spies from different countries and how they are trying to stop a mercenary group from using a top secret weapon or something like that. And they're called the 355 because of a piece of history. They mentioned it in the trailer and I was thinking, yeah, right. They just made that up and it's a stupid name, but it it actually is true. Agent 355 uh, who died sometime after 1780 was the code name for a female spy during the American revolution who is part of the Culper ring. Her true identity is unknown, though there are some theories about who she was. So this group named themselves after this, and it's not like they were already a group. This is one of those movies that could be the spawning point for a series. They could do more of these if they wanted. This gives me Ocean's 8 meets Jason Bourne vibes, and I love it. I think this is such a good idea. Something that looks fun and action-packed and has great representation there's nothing not to like about this. Uh, once again, comes out next year, January 7th, and we'll talk about it then. My friends, I'm torn. I'm so torn. I'm like Natalie Imbruglia. I am so, so torn. Because we have the trailer for Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. And I was excited because this is supposed to be a more game-accurate movie. You know what? The silly movies with um, Mila Jovich, great. They're great, but... They were so far removed from the games, which I grew up loving, that it did it did bother me a little bit. They are fun action films, but I, I wanted more. And now I'm getting more, and I'm not sure because they're still f***ing with things. So it looks like they're combining Resident Evil 1 and 2 into one movie. And I, I don't like it. I, I, I don't because... Look, these were four to six hour long games, depending on how quick you played them and how well you knew it. Uh, Sometimes two to two to three if you knew it really well or if you're using a guide. 
So how are they going to combine the two games into one movie? And how do I know that they're doing that? Well, let's look at the characters in it, not the actors yet. Characters. We have Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine. That's great. They were number one. We have Claire Redfield and Leon Kennedy. They're from number two, though. We have Ada Wong, who's from number two. Brad Vickers, who's from number one. All right. They also have William Birkin, who is the doctor who you uh, fight, depending on which path you choose, in number two, who has the daughter named Sherry, who Claire finds and takes care of. We do see scenes taking place in both the mansion and Raccoon City proper. So the mansion is Resident Evil 1. Raccoon City proper is Resident Evil 2. This could be very messy or it could be very good if they just if if they twist the story enough, it, it could be good. Has a good looking cast. Uh, has Tom Hopper from Black Sails and the Umbrella Academy as Albert Wesker, which is funny because he's in Umbrella Academy and the big bad guys in this are the Umbrella Corporation. But it does look good. Visually, it looks good. And they even included that iconic scene the first time you see a zombie in the first Resident Evil where it turns around, looks at the camera. Uh, I, I am excited, but I'm also very hesitant. And this comes out November 24th. All right, friends, I'm, I'm excited for the next film. We have a trailer for it's not coming out until February and it's a Bloomhouse horror movie. So what better time than the month of love? No better time. This one is called the black phone and it stars Ethan Hawke. There are other people in it, but he's the most uh, important one. He plays the grabber, this guy who's going around snatching and killing kids. So this kid uh, is abducted by the grabber and is locked in a soundproof basement. There's a phone in there, but it's not hooked up to anything. Why is it in there? Well, so the movie can happen, dummy. That's why. And one day when he's, uh, you know, busy being locked up uh, by some by some creepy murderer guy, the phone rings and it turns out it's the ghosts of the kids he's killed trying to help him escape the whole time. His sister, this little boy's sister has visions and the cops automatically believe her because she knows things that the cops never released. And so it's a race against time uh, is can this kid escape? Can the cops find the kid or will this maniac kill him? I'm excited to see Ethan Hawke as a creepy horror movie bad guy because we're all used to him as the horror protagonist. This is based on a short story by Joe Hill. I, I really want to see this. I really, really do. And uh, I cannot wait for February 4th, I believe, for this to come out. Yes, February 4th, 2022. But my friends, we have another more important movie coming out next year. It's another horror film coming out uh, in January. You've probably seen a lot of people talk about it. You've probably seen a lot of speculation about it. You've probably seen the trailer already. And that movie is called Scream. And they're kind of doing that Halloween thing, aren't they? Because originally it was called Scream 5, and now now it looks like it's just being called Scream again. And the first Scream was called Scream. Now this one's called Scream, just like Halloween. But this is the, retur- the return of Ghostface and the return of Sidney Prescott, Gail Weathers, and Dewey Riley, uh, with the actors returning too, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, respectively. And in this trailer, we learn that there, there's a new killer about wearing the, wearing the mask, calling people before he, uh, he or she kills them. 
we see the first murder happen. If you remember in the first movie, the very first murder in the first Scream movie was Drew Barrymore. And Sidney Prescott is going on a jog, as one does when they are a healthy adult. And she gets a call from her good friend Dewey that says, hey, it's happening again. So Sidney, Gale, and Dewey return to the city where it all started, or to the small town where it all started, to help a new group of kids survive. And yes, I'm already down. I'm already down. I really, really enjoy the Scream franchise. I think it is one of the, the pinnacles of horror slasher franchises because it was done so well while scream four was the weakest link scream one through three had a really good cohesive story that tied together really well and four it was okay i mean it was not bad it did have emma roberts but we'll forgive them for bad taste oh quick note about the black phone i forgot to say it's directed by scott derrickson who worked on dr strange uh but as far as Horror movies go worked on Sinister, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Deliver Us from Evil, worked on the Snowpiercer TV show. So that's pretty good there. But more about Scream. uh, I, you know, I'm down. I am down because this isn't one that they just kept on doing and doing and doing and doing and making a million of them. So eventually it's just a joke. Uh, The first Scream came out in 1996 and this is only the fifth one. So that's a respectable amount. All my future friends, I think I'm going to try a new mic layout uh, thanks to my cat who came up and rubbed on it and it just kind of half fell apart, I guess. I've had this mic stand since, God, four years ago, I think, and I'm not very nice to it, so I'm surprised it's lasted this long. But anyway, that is it for the trailer trove. Let us take our next break as we hear a word from our friends at the Watch Your Mouth podcast, and we'll be right back with the limited releases. Stay tuned. There are several ways to raise money for a good cause. Some do it by running marathons. Some host high-dollar dinners. And some just do it by clever internetting. We here at the Watch Your Mouth Podcast employ a different approach. Wall-to-wall filthy f***ing language. Go to a grocery store, I'm like, I know exactly what I need. I get in there, I'm like, Yeah, the f*** did I even come here for? With our charity swear jar, every f***ed up utterance from our unfettered gobs is a dime in the right direction. The motherfucker's a mouth breather. Gaming, movies, life musings, it's all here. Served on a bed of f***s and garnished with a crown of Shut the f*** up! How the f*** did we get here? F*** all that, f***ing jelly bean! So if you want to hear us do good things with bad words, check out the Watch Your Mouth podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, or online at wympodcast.com. And remember, swearing is caring, so watch your mouth. Welcome back to the show. It is time for the limited release movies. And let us start with one called Demigod. Upon the death of her grandfather, a woman and her husband return to her birthplace in Germany's Black Forest, only to find a terrifying secret awaits them. This stars Rachel Nichols from Titans and Johannes Miles from Ambitions. I'll be very honest, I couldn't fully get a feeling for this movie because the trailer has no sound. And this seems like a very purposeful choice from someone who works for the company. And I'll tell you what, that choice did not pay off. Maybe they're trying to make it seem artsy. Maybe they're trying to build tension. Maybe they're trying to build interest, but it didn't work and skip this movie. Next up is one called Luzu. A man risks everything to provide for his wife and newborn son by entering Malta's black market fishing industry. 
The only person of note in this movie is Frida Couchy from The Devil's Double. Next up, we have a documentary that's getting a limited release and going to Apple TV+. This is called The Velvet Underground. The Velvet Underground explores the multiple threads that converge to bring together one of the most influential bands in rock and roll. And if we're being honest, in punk rock too, because The Velvet Underground was one of those bands that were precursors to punk. I know it's a very popular band to say, and there's some people out there that go, no, they're all these other bands, man. You just don't know about them. You're right. You know what? You're right. But we have to remember that popular music drives innovation too. So even though there may be countless other bands that helped bring about the punk movement, we can always thank bands like the Velvet Underground and the New York Dolls for starting it. Next up is one called Son of Monarchs. This is getting a limited release in theaters and an HBO Max release on the 2nd of November. I probably won't be talking about this again on the 2nd of November, but if I do, it's because I forgot I talked about this film. And this trailer took me on a journey. The first half of the trailer, this was definitely going to go on the wide releases and interesting indies. It looks good. Oh, let me tell you what it's about. I didn't do that. A Mexican biologist living in New York returns to his hometown, nestled in the majestic butterfly forests of Michoacan. The journey forces him to confront past traumas and reflect on his hybrid identity, sparking a personal metamorphosis. This stars Tinoc Huerta from Narcos, Mexico, Paulina Gaitan from Narcos, William Mapother from Lost, Electra Avilan from Machete, and Alexia Rasmussen from Our Idiot Brother. So like I said, the first half of this trailer made me go, yes, this looks interesting. Uh, I've been seeing uh, Tina Cuerta, and I know I'm mispronouncing his first name. Maybe it's Tinoch, because I know the CH sound in Spanish is still a ch sound. Either way, I've been seeing more of him pop up, so of course it catches my interest. And this film in particular did look interesting until halfway through the trailer where it started to take this really weird turn where it felt like they're trying to be more cerebral you know let's let's go off on a slightly odd angle and it lost me next up we have one called the held for ransom this is the story of danish photographer daniel rye who was captured by isis in syria in 2013 and held hostage for 398 days this stars toby kebel from rock and rolla amir el masri from the one and charlie carrick from rain So if you recognize the name Daniel Rye, it's because Daniel Rye was captured along the same time as James Foley. James Foley, who didn't make it out, who was murdered by ISIS. And I do remember when this was going down, but I don't remember how it ends for Daniel Rye. I remember for James Foley, it didn't end well. He he was murdered, like I said. But for Daniel Rye, who knows? If that movie sounds interesting to you, check it out this week. We do have one coming up called Hard Luck Love Song. This is a gritty love story about a charismatic but down-on-his-luck troubadour living out of cheap motels and making bad decisions. Bad decision like being a troubadour. This stars Michael Dorman from Daybreakers, Sophia Bush from One Tree Hill, Dermot Mulroney from Young Guns, RZA from The Man with the Iron Fists, and Eric Roberts from The Dark Knight. And this has a good cast except for michael dorman i like this cast nothing against him i just am not familiar with him but sophia bush dermot mulroney rizza and eric roberts i've liked what they've done in the past but a story about some dude going from motel to motel living 
by singing his songs and playing pool and then being a raging alcoholic. I just don't want to see this. Next up, we have one called Bergman Island. A couple retreat to the island that inspired Ingmar Bergman to write screenplays for their upcoming film when the lines between reality and fiction start to blur. This stars Vicky Kripes from Phantom Thread, Tim Roth from Pulp Fiction, and Mia Wasikowska, I can never say that name in one take, from 2010's Alice in Wonderland. All right, my friends, we have two movies left, and the next one is called The Worst Person in the World. No, this is not a documentary about Jake Paul. This is a film from Norway that chronicles four years in the life of Julie, a young woman who navigates the troubled waters of her love life and struggles to find her career path, leading her to take a realistic look at who she really is. And I'll tell you what, from the looks of the trailer, I couldn't see anything about her trying to find her career and everything about her cheating on her husband repeatedly because she's so torn. Does she love him still? And automatically, I don't give two flying f**ks about her. And this movie is 100% skippable. And finally, in the limited release section, we have one called Monster Family 2. To free Baba Yaga and Renfield from the clutches of Monster Hunter Mila Star, the Wishbone family once more transforms into a vampire, Frankenstein's monster, a mummy, and a werewolf. Aided and abetted by their three pet bats, our monster family zooms around the world again to save their friends, make new monstrous acquaintances, and finally come to the realization that nobody's perfect. Even those with flaws can find happiness. Aww. This features the voices of Jessica Brown Finley, Nick Frost, Jason Isaacs, Catherine Tate, and Emily Watson. And this is a German... I think animated film that is dubbed in English. And if you're thinking this looks like some sort of awful ripoff of Hotel Transylvania, you're right. Hotel Transylvania came out in 2012. This movie came out in 20, the original came out in 2017. And while the premises are vastly different, it's so obviously a film that's trying to bank on the popularity of Hotel Transylvania. It has a vampire, Frankenstein's monster, a mummy, and a werewolf, the four main monsters from Hotel Transylvania. And you know what? I just saw Hotel Transylvania for the first time the other night, and it was delightful. It was fun. It wasn't great, but I enjoyed it. It made me laugh. It may have been predictable, but that's okay. It's a family animated movie. So instead of watching Monster Family or Monster Family 2, just watch Hotel Transylvania again. Also that and the animation just looks bad but i want to complain a bit because my wife and i have been watching a, a lot of uh horror or halloween or just spooky themed movies recently especially since it's october and that's a perfect time for that sort of stuff but what i want to talk about is how i'm so proud of myself because i was so very right about the animated adams family movie because if you remember, I didn't like the look of the original. I gave the second one the big old thumbs down. And I did admit, though, that I had not seen it because maybe it was good. And then I told you I got it for 25 cents at a library sale. And I'll tell you this. I paid 25 cents too much for that. I could have had a gumball or a cheap sticker. I could have had one quarter of something from the dollar store. What blows my mind is that enough people liked it 
or at least gave money to this movie that they made another, it looked, it was so bad. Like it was legitimately a bad film. And not just because I loved the original Adams Family, the the TV show, the first cartoon TV show, and the movies. I, I loved all those. Those are great. It, it has nothing to do with that. Like, oh, they're ruining my childhood. I, I'm not into that dumb shit. I'm not going to say something stupid like that. But what I am going to say is that it was a really poorly done movie. And the only thing going for it was the impressive vocal cast. But the animation was ugly. Especially in some of the big sweeping shots they did of the, of the whole city or the inside of the mansion at times. It looked like it just was never completed. It looks like they just put some blank background there and went, okay, we'll fill it in in post. And they just never did. The character designs were ugly. The animation overall was ugly. The story was stupid. Because we have the Adamses hiding from people, and that's never been an Adams family thing ever. They've always been, they've always been out there. Went, yeah, we're fucking weird, and we don't quite understand that you don't like it. It made me laugh a couple times, but it was really, really bad. Like, I actually turned it off before it ended. I DNF'd the movie, and I rarely rarely DNF movies. The last movie I did not finish, I think, was that Ryan Reynolds Netflix movie, um, the heist one. I forget. It was f***ing terrible. I know I don't do movie reviews on the show anymore now that we're getting back to normal in the, this pandemic world, but I had to say something. It was just so, so bad. And then I knew it was a risk going into another animated movie kind of like that, but Hotel Transylvania was a lot of fun. And I'm so glad I liked it. And I I wonder if my hatred, my absolute disgust with the animated Adams Family movie had anything to do with increasing my enjoyment of Hotel Transylvania just because it was a solid film. If you saw the animated Adams Family and you liked it, tell me why. I'm not looking to roast you. I'm not trying to call you dumb or anything. We like different things. It's okay. It's okay to like something else. I legitimately want to know what you liked about it. If you can somehow put it into words beyond, it was just fun. Again, nothing wrong with that, but I, I'm just so curious as to why anyone would give it anything but a rock bottom score. We also watched Train to Busan recently, which helped really, really helped get that stink out of out of the room. It, it cleared the room from the stink that Adam's family left behind because Train to Busan was so good. And you know what? If I see any other horrible stinkers or anything that blows my mind, I will let you know leading up to Halloween. But let us end this segment as we jump into the wide releases and interesting indies. Let us go into our final break as we hear a word from our friends at We're Doing Fine with Robbie and Lisa. Please stay tuned. Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Robbie. And we host a show called We're, We're Doing, Doing Fine. Fine. We're friends from across the ocean. I'm from Scotland. And I'm from California. Join us every week as we chat about biscuits. You mean cookies. Brexit. Whatever's going on here. Who knows? Almost dying. Why we're single. Popular culture. And basically everything and anything that can distract us from this postmodern hellscape we're all living in. Because We're, we're Doing, doing Fine. fine. All right, we are back. We are back with a film called Needle in a Time Stack. 
This is a limited release film. It's about Nick and Janie live in marital bliss until Janie's ex-husband warps time to try and tear them apart. As Nick's memories disappear, he must decide what he's willing to sacrifice in order to hold on or let go of everything he loves. This stars Leslie Odom Jr. from One Night in Miami, Cynthia Erivo from Widows, Frida Pinto from Slumdog Millionaire, and Orlando Bloom from Lord of the Rings. This movie has a terrible name. It does. That is a f***ing terrible title. Needle in a time stack? How... Did someone just throw that out as a joke and someone went, yeah, that's a good, that's a good name for a movie. And the person's like, no, 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 no. I didn't mean it. I'm just being stupid. And they took it anyway. If so, I am so sorry, my friend, that that happened to you, that you gave such an interesting sounding movie, such a terrible name. But enough about what is terrible about this film. Let's talk about what is interesting. It's interesting because we have this couple who loves each other. They do. They're in love. But something happens. And this guy all of a sudden wakes up and his wife doesn't know him or they're just not married anymore. And so he realizes that this other guy used a time machine to go back and change things so that they never broke up and he never or she never got with Nick. And so now he, too, is trying to go back in time to change stuff to go back to the way it was. But he just is forgetting things like the premise said. OK, you know what? I have a really important question. And I have something I want you to think about. The treatment of women's characters and women, the actresses themselves in movies, has been a hot button topic and an important topic for a long time, and it still is. Why I bring that up is here's my question. If we have a movie where someone f***s with someone, someone's mind, let's say a wizard f***s with someone's mind to sleep with this woman, that's really, really bad. That That's a crime because it's basically like drugging her. Is this... Because he's, it's not like he's tricking her. He's going back in time and changing something so they never broke up. So she's not being altered somehow in the sense that she's being drugged or having her emotions or brain chemistry fucked with in any sort of way. He's just changing whatever it was that broke them up. So we have Janie's ex-husband as the bad guy because he's trying to change time so Nick and Janie don't get together. But is is he a bad guy on multiple levels because it's a f***ed up thing to do to her? Or, since he went back in time and changed the past, so he didn't f*** up or whatever happened didn't happen, so it's not like he's altering her mind at all. I don't know, it could be so potentially iffy and potentially gross. So I really like this film because it has a good cast and it's a very interesting original sci-fi idea. But I'm also questioning it because of that factor. And it also really matters how they tackle her in the film, like how the film represents her. Because is she a prize that they're both fighting over her? Like, is she the end goal? Like, like a object? Or... Is it the love he's fighting for? Is it their memories and everything that they loved about being with each other? So it's less about objectifying her. The good news is that this isn't very obviously questionable in a very obtuse way. So at the very least, Janie's ex-husband is a bad guy and a creep. But this does look interesting, despite my trepidations of the whole iffiness of it. It does look like a good movie. Leslie Odom Jr. and Cynthia Erivo alone could sell this film. Throw in the others and it's just icing on the cake. Needle in a time stack, it's a 6.5.
out of 11. Folks, next up, we have a movie called The Grand Duke of Corsica. This is a limited release film. As a deadly epidemic slowly begins to sweep Malta, a brilliant architect embarks upon an unusual commission for an eccentric billionaire who calls himself the Grand Duke of Corsica. A state emergency creates chaos, but Alfred Rott, ever the professional, remains to finish the job. This stars Timothy Spall from Mr. Turner, Peter Stormare from Fargo, and Alicia Agneson and Lucy Martin from Vikings. So this movie does look interesting, but the first premise I saw made me think completely different thoughts about it. Here's the uh, the first premise I saw. In 1221, a young man is set on his path to becoming St. Francis of Assisi. A thousand years later, an architect must build a mausoleum for a dying billionaire. Separated by history, these men's lives will be forever changed by a pandemic. So let's talk about the important thing about this movie is Timothy Spall and Peter Stormare. That's fantastic. Peter Stormare is is really good. I think he's woefully underrated, just like Timothy Spall. So many people only know him from the Harry Potter movies, and he was great in those, but he's done so much more and so many better things. This just kind of looks like one of those films that could easily, easily fall under the radar, but... If you watch it, you'll probably enjoy it. It looks it looks interesting. It looks fun. The perfect type of movie to bring up to your cinephile friends. Because even as far as indie movies go, I haven't seen this one advertised. So you can go, oh, I know of one. You don't. Uh-huh. And you fix your tie because you're wearing a tie in this uh, situation, I guess. What really sells this movie for me is the interaction of Timothy Spall and Peter Stormare, which is good because they're the two biggest names and the main characters. It seems like they have really good chemistry in this, and it's a very interesting idea, so this is on my list of films to be watched. But if we're being honest, it's going to be really easy to miss, because it's coming out with a limited theatrical release, with, so far as I heard, no plans as to which, if any, streaming service it's going to. But let's wrap this up with a score. The Grand Duke of Corsica gets a 7 out of 11. Next up in the wide releases and interesting indies is a film called Breaking Them Up. This is a limited and VOD release. When a resourceful 15-year-old Damien decides that his parents are all wrong for each other, he enlists his best friend Aaron to help him set them up with other people. This stars Steven Schneider from Bumblebee, Kellen Coleman from Big Little Lies, and starring actors Jacob Weddle, a relative newcomer who kind of looks like Ed Oxenbold from The Visit, and Tess Albert. So yes, not a lot of people you'd recognize in this, but it it looks pretty predictable, but also fun. Because we have this kid in this film who, uh, him and his best friend, Aaron, they're really good at creating opportunities, they call it. They're not trying to hook people up. They're not creepy like that. What they do is try and give people opportunities to do it themselves. The, the, the example you see in the trailer is this kind of nerdy kid wants to uh, date or at least have a chance with the popular girl in school. Ain't going to happen, my friend. But what if, what if the popular girl's umbrella goes missing and who just happens to be right there with an umbrella, but this nigh unlovable nerd so that's cute right they don't do anything like underhanded or devious they just kind of give these kids a chance if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out they do their thing but this kid 
uh, Damien, his parents fight all the time. They're always fighting. And, and he sees that his parents are completely wrong for each other and wants to set them up with other people. So it'll make them happier, thus make his home life happier. And I'm pretty sure we all can see where this is going. So we have this kid, classic kid movie, where we have this kid who thinks they know better than the adults. And with kids movies, it could go one of two ways where, yes, the kid is much smarter than the adult and sees things that the adult can't. Or it goes in the other direction where the kid's not necessarily wrong, but doesn't fully understand the complexities of adult life. But let's all be honest here. If this movie goes where it looks like it's going, the parents are going to re-fall in love with each other because they realize how far they've fallen from where they were. Maybe they just stopped trying, fell into some sort of rut or whatever it is. But all the while, young Damien, uh, he's single too. And oh, who happens to love him but his best friend, Aaron? So could this possibly end with the parents falling even more in love and Aaron and Damien together? Probably, though I would be very impressed if the parents did break up. Because while it is good that we get happy endings, we all like happy endings, right? We love happy endings. It makes us happy. But I think it is important to show the other side of things. Uh, like that is uh, why I always bring up Jane the Virgin when it comes to missed opportunities. The creators behind Jane the Virgin had such an amazing opportunity to show that family is a unit made up of uh, of mother, father, children. We could have had Jane and Michael or Jane and anyone else stay together. We could have Raphael, Seth Petra or anyone else. That doesn't matter. But we could have had Jane and Raphael in separate relationships still being good, attentive parents showing that like, look, yes, even media these days is showing that we can have split family households that works. But no, they screwed the pooch. So best case scenario, breaking them up has the chance to do something that we don't see a lot of. And that is a good thing. Worst case scenario, I mean, it's everything you think it's going to be. It looks cute. It looks like a fun time. It looks like the kind of movie that I would watch. Like one day if I stay home sick from work and I look, oh, hey, look what's on Netflix or Hulu now. This movie I talked about on the show. I'm not feeling that great. Kind of watch it. Something to make me smile that doesn't take a lot of brain power to watch. I think it looks like something to keep in the back of your mind. Breaking them up gets a seven out of 11. All right, my future friends, do you want to cry? Of course you do. Who doesn't want to cry? Everyone loves crying. Everyone loves being sad. It's the new hotness in the world. So that's why the next movie is a documentary called Introducing Selma Blair. This is getting a limited theatrical release and a Discovery Plus release on the 21st. I will only be talking about this this week. I may remind you on the 21st, but uh, my full talk will be this episode. This is a deeply intimate and raw portrait of Selma Blair after she is diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and tries to slow the progression of her disease. So I had already known Selma Blair was sick because my wife knew and she and she told me and she, you know, shared that information with me. But now we're having a documentary about it. So Selma Blair was diagnosed with MS and I like I can't imagine. I, I can't even begin to imagine a what it's like for her. I, I, 
oh my God, she is not even 50 and had to, has already had to come to terms with the fact that she could very well die. And like, soon. And look, you know how I feel about buzzwords, about how I just really don't like those words that that movie critics use and get blurbed on posters and stuff like a powerful masterpiece. But sometimes, sometimes they really are the best words to use. And for this, for this, what comes to mind is powerfully raw. She is laying it all out there. She is laying it all out there. You see her on good days and f***ing scraping the bottom of the barrel for any little last ray of hope. Bad days. You see her try to hold it together for her kid and then break down once he's gone. And you know what? Part of me wonders how she could do this. How could she put it all out there? Her, her public, her, her, private life being turned so public because in this documentary in the trailer her mother has a line where she says she is just famous enough because they're talking about her you know like starting to lose some motor control and stumbling a bit and in that context her mom says she's just famous enough that if people saw that like headlines might pop up the next day going selma blair drinking problem selma blair on a big binger so in theory, she could have gone through this and to its ultimate conclusion, relatively free of the public eye. I mean, it's true. Once you become a celebrity, you're never truly out of the public eye, but she could have, but she's showing us this and she's sharing her journey. And I think with something like this, it is, it's very important because it raises awareness. Like what the f even is MS? The only reason I knew what it was from a young age was because in the West Wing, President Bartlett has MS. Look, I'm kind of running out of things to say. Um, if you know someone that has Discovery Plus, I would check this out. Not for the sake of cinema, but for the sake of Selma Blair and those going through the same thing. I mean, even if you don't go and start donating to charity right away after watching it, even if you just watch it and you know more of the struggle, you know more of the, of the disease, that's one step. That's something. And yeah, this is one of those movies that I'm not going to give a score to because it seems f***ed up to quantify it. And I know I'm sporadic with that. Sometimes I will give a score to a very dark and serious movie. Sometimes I won't. I guess it just depends on how it makes me feel on the inside. And, and this one, um, God, I'm going to need to pick me up. So let's jump into the next film. Uh, we have two more movies left. And normally, normally on any other week, this film would have been the pick of the week because of the cast alone. You know, the whole closet bisexual vibe I, I give off when I drool over certain <laughs> actors. Uh, this, this is it. This is that movie. This is called The Last Duel. This is getting a nationwide release. King Charles VI declares that Knight Jean de Carroges settle his dispute with his squire by challenging him to a duel. This stars Matt Damon from We Bought a Zoo, Adam Driver from Marriage Story, Jodie Comer from Killing Eve, Harriet Walter from Sense and Sensibility, and Ben Affleck from Armageddon. 
and this is written by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and directed by Ridley f***ing Scott. So we have two of the most gorgeous men on the planet, Matt Damon and Adam Driver, in a in, in a Damon Affleck written movie directed by Ridley Scott. Oh my god. I don't know what's more excited my or my heart to be honest, and it does look really really good. Directed by Ridley Scott, who did Alien, who did Legend, who did Blade Runner, G.I. Jane, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven, A Good Year, Body of Lies. And that was just some I randomly picked out of his IMDb. He is proven good. And when the movies he do aren't Academy Award worthy like Gladiator, they're fun like Thelma and Louise. Except for the ending, you know, but, you know, they're enjoyable. Body of Lies was enjoyable. Prometheus was a movie. This movie is going to be good. Uh, it has, it stars Matt Damon and Adam Driver with Jodie Comer being a big part of it. You would know her from a lot of TV. Uh, she's most recently in Free Guy. And she is a big part of the movie because this movie is more than just two guys fighting over a woman. That is so 80s and 90s. No way. This is also about her taking a stand going, hey, something happened. I am not going to be silent about it. I'm going to speak out. I'm even going to call my husband out on his shit. So what that leaves us with is a dark and dramatic period piece directed by Ridley Scott with proven actors in it. It looks beautifully shot. There's... No reason not to give this a try sometime. Hell, if you don't like the pick of the week, if you're not a fan of the franchise, and even though this isn't a big, flashy action film, I think it is a quality film to watch in the theater, something that the theater experience would highly benefit your experience with this film. Because it's Ridley Scott. Even his movies that aren't big and flashy or full of CG and everything still benefit from that big screen. So this is a solid, solid choice for pick of the week. And if it wasn't for the next film, it would have been easy peasy lemon squeezy for me to promise you that. So my friends, this is a surefire bet. And the last duel gets a 10 out of 11. Well, my friends, one final pick and you know what it is. You know what the pick of the week is. That pick of the week is called Halloween Kills. This is getting a nationwide release and a simultaneous release on Peacock. That's NBC's streaming service. The saga of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode continues in the next thrilling chapter of the Halloween series. This stars Jamie Lee Curtis from True Lies, Judy Greer from 13 Going on 30, Andy Matichek and Dylan Arnold from the first Halloween, as in the first of the new Halloweens, Robert Longstreet from The Haunting of Hill House, Anthony Michael Hall from the Dead Zone TV show, Michael McDonald from the Happy Time Murders, and Will Patton from Armageddon. So spoiler alert for the last Halloween if you haven't seen it, so skip forward to like 10 seconds, I don't know. But how can Will Patton be in it? He died in the last one. Unless it's in flashbacks or he didn't die. I would like it if he, if he survived. But if you're a fan of the Halloween series, there is a good chance you liked the last Halloween film, it, it was really, really well done. And now we're getting that sequel. And I, I'm excited because Michael Myers is my favorite slasher. Hands 
down. He is my favorite slasher killer. And we're just getting more of this really good story of Laurie Strode being basically a mental case since the events of the first film, like the very first film, not the first new film, the very first film. And now all these years later, Look who's not crazy anymore. It's her because Michael Myers is out there. Oh, you thought you killed him in that last movie, but you did not. He got out and we're going to show you how. That's something I always did like about Michael because in the uh, Freddy Krueger movies and the Friday the 13th movies, they, they find some way to kill Freddy or Jason. And then they come back anyway. Oh my God, they're back. How did this ever happen? We had no clue this is going to happen. But with Michael, they show you how he survived. And while sometimes it's not amazingly believable, it is plausible. Even the craziest ones where he gets blown away by a million f***ing bullets and falls down a mine shaft, and they say that he crawled away and floated down river and someone healed him. That's kind of f***ing silly, but it's plausible. So how did he escape this burning building locked in the basement? Well, we'll see. I find movies like this scarier because just like with Halloween four and five, the Jamie movies, just like with those movies, the whole town knows what's going on. The whole town is on alert and it doesn't matter. Michael Myers is going to kill people left and right because it's what he does. And it's not that he's particularly skillful or smart, but he's smart enough and he's skillful enough and he's just frightening enough to evade capture, overpower anyone, all in his one, all in his single-minded quest to kill Lori. The worst thing about this movie is the name. I still think the name is stupid. I think the name of the next movie, Halloween Ends, is cool, but Halloween Kills, I think, is a little on the nose, a little dumb. But that's the worst thing I have to say. I, I am excited for this. It's even still written by the same team who did the last one. Scott Teams, David Gordon Green, and Danny McBride, of all people, directed by David Gordon Green, uh, who also did movies like, let's bring it up here, mainly, actually a lot of TV, Vice Principals, Eastbound and Down, The Righteous Gemstones. You know what? If I didn't know better... I would have thought this was a weird choice to direct a horror movie, someone who has done all this comedy, but David Gordon Green knows what's up. And I even like the fact that we know that Paul Rudd would have returned to play the role of Tommy Doyle like he did in Halloween 6, but he had previous engagements and instead we have Anthony Michael Hall, not a bad choice. And Judy Greer, pretty badass in the last movie. I mean, Andy Matichek was fine. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, great as always. But Judy Greer, I want to see more of Judy Greer kicking ass. That's what I want to see. So I cannot wait for more. I cannot wait for more Michael Myers. I cannot wait for more Laurie, Laurie Strode. I cannot wait for more of that music. And when that music hits, it's Halloween again. Halloween Kills gets an 11 out of 11. I think normally it would have gotten a, a, a 9 or a 10 out of 11, but because of the fact that's actually coming out the same month as the... But the fact that's actually coming out in October gives it bonus points because that is dope. I'm excited. This is a good week for movies. The last two films look really good. 
The rest of the films may have been forgettable, excluding, of course, the uh, Selma Blair one. But yeah, the rest of the films could have been forgettable, but we have those two, and that's really good. I will be seeing Halloween. The question is, will I be seeing it in theaters or will I be seeing it at home? Maybe in theaters. We might go. But when I see it, I will let you know. But for now, my future friends, that is it for this episode. Let us jump into the closing housekeeping and I'll send you along your way to listen to the other great shows you may enjoy in the podcast sphere. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and any podcast app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website. That is somewhatnerdy.com. I would really appreciate it if you take a few minutes out of your day to give the podcast a rating. I would love five stars, please. And also share the podcast, share with your friends. That is how we grow here on the show. And then how do you reach me? That is a great question. You can leave a comment for me on the Somewhat Nerdy website or Facebook page. You can leave a comment on SoundCloud. You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at BilliamSWN. You can email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. And please consider supporting the show on Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes and also on the Somewhat Nerdy site. Be sure to check out the other shows in the network, Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Squared Circle. Don't forget to support the friends of the show. You've heard their ads tonight. Please check out my personal blog, BilliamTheNerd.com. And then finally, my dear friends, my dear, dear listeners, my future friends, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billion from Somewhat Nerdy signing off, and I'll see you in the future.